Hi, this is Lindsay Miller, and you're listening to the Arkansas Times Week Interview Podcast on Friday, January the 10th. On this week's episode, we're going to talk about the the closure of the infamous hog farm in the Buffalo River watershed, another blow to the Arkansas whistleblower law from the state Supreme Court, the future of parks and the zoo in Little Rock, and maybe some more. I'm joined, as usual, by Max Brantley. Hello. So the state announced this week the completion of a deal that closes the hog farm in the Buffalo River watershed, pays the farmer $6.2 million, and leaves the state with the responsibility of clean, cleaning up the leftover hog poop. Well, this was pretty much a certainty, but although it was, it was slowed down a little bit, and part of it is, is the state does indeed have a plan out to do the cleanup of the hog waste ponds, and that's still its responsibility. You know, uh, I, I think somebody once uh, equated this to negotiating with terrorists, but uh, even some really hardcore environmentalists that I know that said, yeah, these guys made out like bandits. After paying off their mortgages, they're going to clear almost $4 million in profits. But this is one of those cases where I think Asa Hutchinson, I don't give him a lot of credit. I give him some small credit here. Uh he, he forced us to have the Farm Bureau was against closing this farm and fought it and fought it and fought it and fought it because they saw it as a slippery slope that if you could shut down one hog farm, you could shut down other hog farms. And the governor thought protection of the Buffalo River was important, so they got this done. And, and you know, the, the state did allow them to go into business under the BB administration, so the state had some culpability. And so it's happened, uh, and I was talking this week to a friend of mine who's really active in the Buffalo River protection thing, and he acknowledges some of the downside of the settlement, but he said that this really was, it was a, by far the biggest contributor of nutrients to the watershed. Even spreading it on ground could lead to runoff that leads to this algae bloom in the Buffalo River. They don't have any proof of that, but but it's part of the picture. now. Here's the thing is, this won't solve the algae blooms in the Buffalo River. There are an awful lot of other contributors to the problems in the Buffalo River. Some of them are inadequate wastewater treatment systems in the, in the towns that are in the watershed. That's something that needs to be addressed. There also needs to be comprehensive management plans for other sources of waste. I mean, there are other animal operations, cattle farms, small pig farms, small chicken farms that do some contribution to this. And a lot of this is just about raising awareness and doing a broader, more comprehensive attack on addressing the things that contribute to the problems in the Buffalo River. Yes, there's even a small human, you know, used to make fun of the fact that the Farm Bureau tried to say, well, it was a canoeist peeing in the river that were causing the problem. And and the, the Park Service, needs to have plenty of toilets at the rest areas so that people aren't peeing in the river. But, but I mean, but the news is, is that they, they shut down a big hog, a factory hog farm, and there's a moratorium on concentrated animal feed, feeding operations in the watershed now going forward. And so, I mean, this is, this is a step in the right direction. The question is, is how do we as a state go forward in the future? The buffalo was an icon, to overuse a word. And so it got a special measure of protection, even from some Republicans who are not often uh, easily moved to enforce environmental regulations, like our attorney general, for example, who's busy attacking environmental regulations everywhere. 
so you take a victory, but uh, and it's and it's good. And the Buffalo, if if that if you had a poster child to get it done, that's good. But uh, we we still got a lot of hog crap to deal with in Arkansas. Will there be any energy to do the sorts of things that you described under this or future Republican administrations? It's hard to imagine. I mean, really, it's hard to imagine the state putting out money for it. Although the state just decided to do something that I think is fraught with peril, which is spend money on repairing levees and private levee districts that were formed to protect people's private land because of flood damage. And I'm, it's going to have to be a matching grant program if they pass it. But I mean, the state the state has a lot of needs and uh, them putting money forward toward waste treatment and, and pressing down on farmers. I mean, the Farm Bureau is just a, just a, and the pork producers and the cattle producers and the chicken producers, you put them all together and they are a fearsome lobbying combine. Well, and as uh, climate change continues to uh, be a force, there's going to be more needs that, that the state will have to address or, or not, or consider at least. Or something, you know, it's, it's just... It, it's kind of overwhelming, really, when you, you read about some of the specific things that happen. You know, the SWEPCO is going to close a coal plant in Louisiana. It'll, the Arkansas PSC had to approve it because that plant's in our rate base for SWEPCO customers, not APL customers. But And so it turns out it's a plant that costs more to operate than they make off selling electricity from it. And it's an old plant. It's just incredibly polluting. But Swepco still gets 83% of its power from coal. And, you know, they're trying to move from it, but it's, but the coal industry's fighting to keep the business and Donald Trump's working to help. And Donald Trump this week announced these new environmental regulations that are meant to strip environmental regulation of, of drilling on public lands and, and some, and some other restrictions. And, you know, I, I, it's, it's easy to be pessimistic. Yeah, to say the least. The Arkansas Supreme Court this week again ruled that the doctrine of sovereign immunity protects public officials from lawsuits brought by those who claim they've been punished for whistleblowing. Yeah, this is an interesting case. It was not really a surprise because the Supreme Court has established this new sovereign immunity rule that they're just going to go over the side of the ship with, apparently. But this was a case where a guy at the Livestock and Poultry Commission was going to hire a livestock inspector and Ace Hudson said, I want you to hire my guy. And he said, no, I won't do it because he's not qualified. I'm going to hire the guy who is qualified. And so he got fired for refusing to hire a political appointee of the governor. And so he sued saying, I was trying to save the money and I blew the whistle on this bad practice. And so I should be reinstated in my job and get damages. Well, Supreme Court said you can't sue the governor, you can't sue the guy who fired him at livestock and poultry because they're state actors and they're protected by sovereign immunity. Now, the, this decision left open a narrow window, but I, I think the local newspaper blew the coverage of this and suggesting somehow that he's still got a real lawsuit. He can still make a claim individually against the governor in livestock and poultry, but only because the lower court judge didn't directly address that finding. And the Supreme Court said in its ruling that, gee, you know, it doesn't look like he's got much of a case on this, but it wasn't dismissed on that ground, so he gets to make his case. And they're saying, what's the big deal? You know, you get fired for not doing what the governor tells you to do. That's We don't see that you've got any claim against the governor over it. Now, he can go to the State Claims Commission and ask for some money. The problem here is, is that with this ruling, Unless you can prove somebody did an illegal act of some sort in the course of, of 
taking retribution against a illegal uh, against a whistleblower. We essentially don't have a whistleblower law. The Supreme Court just said that the legislature exceeded its authority in waiving sovereign immunity on whistleblowers. And the problem is, is if you can't sue the state, that's where the deep pockets are. There's no money to be gained. I mean, you know, maybe you can sue Asa Hutchinson and get a little money out of him if by some miracle you, you found him personally liable for your being fired. But as a practical matter, we don't have a whistleblower law anymore. And that this kind of guts whistleblowing. It guts the Freedom of Information Act. Uh, it's just a, it's a bad ruling. The legislature had a proposal to amend the Constitution to specifically allow the legislature to waive sovereign immunity by legislation and clear this up. But the powers that be wouldn't let it out of the legislature and onto the ballot. They had other things to do. So we're just kind of stuck. I mean, the state can just get away with murder against individuals. And uh, it's okay with the Arkansas Supreme Court. One exception was Joe Hart, who unfortunately is retiring. So okay. more bad news. Uh, Little Rock Task Force devoted to the future of parks and the zoo appeared before the city board this week and emphasized the importance of public money, dedicated funding sources, and public-private partnerships uh, as far as the future, successful future of the park system and the zoo go. Yeah, well, you know, they got rid of the golf courses at Hyman and War Memorial, and this task force looked at it, and they've talked about a lot of nice things to repurpose these parks for for family and general recreational use, uh, perhaps something of an overemphasis on the disc golf. <laughs> not, yeah, not enough emphasis on family stuff, I think. Like, yeah. more more exciting play structures. Who do you think goes to parks? No, that's... Families with little kids. The, and that one play structure they have in War Memorial is just always swarmed with people. In the summertime, especially. In the summer, yeah, always. Just... And so, so anyway, but, but I think they were well-intentioned, and they have a number of decent... I, the problem is just real simple. You know, the notion that we save money by shutting the golf courses and then are looking for other ways to redevelop the parks and it's going to be cheaper, it, it, it's going to cost money. And what the zoo wants, I mean, the zoo has this really ambitious thing that says it needs $5 million more million a year in operating costs plus capital development money. Yeah, the only way to get that money is a dedicated sales tax. And, and I, parks are, you know, they said they did some polling, said 65% are for a dedicated tax for parks. Well, yeah, in the abstract. But, I mean, this is a city that has just said it's going to make an investment in its public schools. This is a city that currently doesn't have a pay increase plan for its uniform employees. that gave only a token pay increase to non-uniform employees. Uh, that, that has potholes all over the city that need fixing. That has a garbage service that's one of the most expensive around and is not particularly reliable and doesn't do complete recycling. I, much as, I'm a parks guy, and I think aesthetic things like that are really what makes cities great, but it's just the needs are so many. And what I really fear is they're going to come up with a half-baked Christmas tree. Uh, th- there's going to be a sales tax proposal. I mean, you can, you can take that to the bank. The mayor's got to get a sales tax increase to continue to operate the city, which is just struggling financially. But will they use the parks as sort of a Trojan horse, popular parks, and then not give them as much as they need out of the money, but then parcel out the rest of it to other uses? And I'm just scared to death 
and it's a small thing, but I've become just crazy about it. If they come back and ask for more taxpayer money to build another office building downtown for the tech park, I'm going to lose my mind. No. I'm, I'm not sure I can stop it. I, I can't stop it. And I'm not sure anybody else cares. But it was wrong to take $20 million in taxpayer money to build an office building for a tech park downtown. It'd be doubly wrong to do it again. If this is a good idea, there should be private money to find. If this is a good idea that's sustainable on its on its merits, then there ought to be private money to finance it, not, not my damn hamburger tax money or my sales tax money on what I buy at the Walgreens. It's, it's crazy. But, you know, I just don't know. I mean, the, the, the business establishment being what it is, and particularly since downtown is a wash and empty office space currently because of the state's incredibly stupid purchase of this build, the old Verizon building for $26 million, supposedly for an industrial prospect that fell through. And now they've moved state agencies from all over downtown out to this building and left vacant office space all over. Anyway, you shouldn't, I've gotten myself started, sorry. <laughs> I'll shut up. Well, of course, uh, one of the things they, they talked a little bit about with public-private partnerships or private foundation money. Uh, I, I wrote earlier this year about Tulsa's Great Park, which was largely paid for by the, the George Kaiser Family yeah, Foundation. They had that one single hugely rich guy who's who, progressive. Who, who got behind that thing. Right. Do we have any rich people no, who will support no, we, parks? No, we don't. I mean, you know, I... I walk gingerly around this subject because, you know, rich people are entitled to do whatever they want to do with their money. But I just think you look at Little Rock and you look at the big name wealthy people in this town and you don't see here their investment in in aesthetic and cultural and other amenities like you see of people similarly situated in other cities. I mean, I look at Chattanooga where the Coca-Cola Fortune has built an aquarium and a history museum and a bunch of other stuff. Yes, they make some gifts here, the Stevens and Dillards and, and who and who have you, but it's nothing on a nothing on a level that hasn't been that really big defining sort of commitment to, to making the city better. Instead they kinda wanna get they wanna get back rather than give, it seems to me in a lot of cases. And you know, I mean the the famous example of that Gene Pfeiffer, our, our friend, loves to advance is the Dillard standing in the way of completing the bike trail behind their building. I think that's actually a more complicated issue than Gene wants me to believe. But but nonetheless, that's that's one of those sorts of things. And I don't know. I, I'd love to see one of the big money people step up and say, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna invest in this park or I'm gonna invest in these schools. Instead, the only rich money flowing into Little Rock is flowing from the Waltons to tear down our public school system. So, Speaking of public schools, we got a little time left. Uh, the state board, for once, for the first time in many months, did not talk about the Little Rock School District, at least unless I missed it, yesterday. But uh, Oh, but you should have heard Diane Zook this morning congratulating the Waltons and Arkansas Learns and everybody who's put the state on a path to school choice. Oh. Well, they, they did give... It was uh, an ERP moment. They did kind of bend over backward for uh, a Pine Bluff charter school. Yeah, well, here was the deal. We got a, There's a charter high school in Pine Bluff, Southeast Prep. It's, it's doing terribly academically and financially. The staff, the state education department, which isn't the most vigorous in terms of cracking the whip on charter schools, said it ought to be closed, the charter. And instead of 
voting to close it, they instead heard Johnny Key and some board members cry crocodile tears about how, oh, the parents want this school to succeed so much and they really will hate this. We need to have a hearing and see if we can help them stay open. And, you know, meanwhile, they just jack the Little Rock School District around every chance they get. But if it's a charter school, it doesn't matter how crappy you are, how sorry you are, how clear the record shows you shouldn't exist, you get a pass. Same thing happened today, the, the D-rated Arkansas Virtual Academy, which is 2,500 basically homeschool students who get some assistance online. It's a, it's a profit play by the K-12 organization and it was enabled by Johnny Key when he was a state senator. He, he slipped in special language that like tripled the number that could be enrolled in virtual academies. They just say, well, keep on coming. We'll review you every year, but otherwise everything's fine. You're just, you're a D. Well, we got D schools in Little Rock that we don't ever hear Diane Zook shut up about. But the charter school, let them have at it. It was kind of interesting. There's a charter school in Ma that started Maumel, and it has sort of a favorite student body there, and they do pretty well, although they do terrible at their school in Scott. And they wanted a waiver for, I don't know, 95, a century, three centuries of continued operation. I'm exaggerating, but, but for a long time. But they wanted to waive the counseling requirement, and they held them up a little bit because Asa has said, you know, we really need counseling in schools. It's kind of a good thing. Yeah. And uh, if we're going to waive it for them, we're going to have to waive it. For, if we waive it for them, then we're going to have to waive it for everybody else in Pulaski County. And so maybe let's think about that a little bit before we let them waive that. Of course, that's the problem, this whole waiver thing. The waivers, in theory, exist so that charters can be unshackled from can experiment. can experiment and be laboratories of innovation. What it means is that they can operate cheaper. That's all it means. And they don't have to serve disabled kids. And they can, you know, and they can don't have to enroll kids or discipline problems. They can make them go home and... Anyway, it's it's a sham, and it's it's a shame. There's a there's a new report out about the failure of the North Little Rock, uh, New Orleans charter school system, which is entirely charterized, which is what the Waltons tried to get done in Little Rock a few years ago, and it's just a disaster. And you know the the, the notion that we need more choice here and not less. There was something in the paper today that was the irony of it was just crushing. I don't often read the. The 50 years ago in the paper column. Mm -hmm. But 50 years ago today, Judge Oren Harris, a federal judge from South Arkansas, who was no liberal, who was basically a say, ruled in a school district case down there that against, it may have been in Pine, it may have been in Pine Bluff, in fact, said you can't have a, a freedom of choice school assignment plan. It's gone, it's over, and it's not coming back. Because he had, you know, the, the courts at that time it made it clear, even to conservative judges like like Orrin Harris, that they couldn't accept these segregated freedom of choice plan. And now it's back, and it's legal, and it's encouraged by state law of Arkansas. And the chairman of the state board of education is lauding freedom of choice so that we can resegregate our schools. These are these are sad times. Well, happier, happy now. As usual, we will end on that cheery note and move on to endorsements. I have a couple of two weird endorsements. Since I don't have many, I'm going to double up today. One is I only wear a watch when I travel, getting ready to go out of town, and my watch battery was dead. And I don't know how to change a watch battery. I'm an idiot. And the last time I changed one, I broke my Timex, smashed the crystal on it. So I looked up, went on the web, needed a place near me to replace my watch battery. 
and I was led to Batteries Plus. Have you ever heard of Batteries no. Plus? Well, it's a it's a national chain store that sells every kind of battery under the sun and every kind of light bulb under the sun. And they don't like to work on Timexes because Timexes apparently have a back that's hard to work with. But I said, I'll hold you harmless. It only costs $18. If you break it, I'll just throw it away. Yeah. Well, they changed my battery in about, I mean, under two minutes. I mean, oh, just wow. instantly did it. So I, I gave him the extra six bucks to change my battery for the rest of my watch's life for $15 total. But the other thing I want to say about this is I, I'm a flashlight junkie. I can't, I can't tell you why. I just love flashlights, and I collect flashlights. And, and winter's coming, maybe. We may have a winter again. So sometimes you get your ice storm that knocks your electricity out. Yeah. And in addition to flashlights, I like to have battery-powered lanterns so you can read right. you know, when the lights go out. Well, the, I had no idea how the world of LED had changed the flashlight business. These guys sell every flashlight under the sun. At I mean, Batteries Plus? And at Batteries Plus, yeah. yeah. Flashlights are one of their... They've they got the hugest flashlight selection I've ever seen. But what it turns out, because of LED lighting, you can power these things with a lot lower power batteries. And so they had a special, and I didn't buy it, and I kicked myself later. They were selling a lantern that had that was powered by four AA batteries, not not those big yeah. square blocky kind of batteries you used to have to buy. And they'd run this lantern, this big, huge lantern, for 96 hours, I mean, four days on four, I mean, it was just, it was just, it opened it. I know, when I told my wife the same story, she said, you need to shut up, this is the most boring thing, <laughs> the most boring, boring thing I've ever heard. But I'm sorry, I'm into, No, I'm, 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 I'm somewhat intrigued. I'm, I'm into flashlights, plus I'm slowly switching all my house lights. We've got all these can fixtures, you know, up yeah. in the ceiling from regular bulbs to LED bulbs, which last forever. Yeah. And they're pretty expensive. Yeah. I mean, the first one I bought cost like $15 in one of these big floods. Well, now they, they were selling six for $24. I mean, it was, yeah. I mean, it's like, it's a cool deal. So anyway, Batteries Plus, they're my guys. I love them. The one, I went to one in North Little Rock, tell them I sent you. The other thing was, is just let me, I'll say more quickly. This documentary on Linda Ronstadt, I watched it just because I didn't have anything else to watch, and I thought, oh, a documentary on a singer. It's on HBO or Netflix. Yeah, one of the two. Yeah, Netflix maybe. It was great. She's fabulous. Yeah. I mean, her story. She's interesting. She can do everything. She went her own way. I mean, whether you know this thing where I said, oh, you can't do a, a Spanish language album became like the biggest Spanish language album of all time. I mean, she's anyway, and she's now got. This degenerative disease, super nuclear palsy. I wrote a great feature about it, but it was I loved every single second of it. A lot of it was the old songs, but I mean, mm -hmm. and the people she associated with. But man, highly recommend it. Okay, I'll check that out. Um, yeah, speaking of batteries, I, I remember as a kid, I had a got for Christmas or something a light up frisbee um, that sounded really cool, but it at that time, you know, you had to have like. 18d batteries or something in it so it was just it was worthless because you yeah, couldn't throw it right you couldn't throw it but my kids got i got my kids one for christmas with a little like you know not a watch battery but something small yeah and it's just like a normal frisbee and it's so fun oh to, I to bet. throw a frisbee yeah, at night looks, frisbee at night that'd looks, be cool looks yeah. like a ufo uh, but I'm going to endorse a podcast that I think is pretty popular but I just got around to listen to it's called song exploder and it's really uh, 
it's really an ideal uh, podcast as far as I'm concerned. It's short. Uh, they range from 18 to 30 minutes. Um, it's incredibly well edited. The, the premise is they take an artist and a song that, that that musician has recorded and go through the process of how they wrote it, how it's produced, often the producer comes in, but it's all just the musician or just the producer talking. There's no question side of it, and it's edited really well. They always pull in demos um, or isolated parts of a song. Um, it's a fairly diverse group of folks they're doing. I mean, it, it sort of leans heavily to indie rock, but uh, I noticed that there's a Yo-Yo Ma one. Uh, I listened to one... Uh, by Denzel Curry, who's a young Miami rapper that was good and interesting. He had producers from New Zealand who were very funny. But yeah, check it out, Song Exploder. The latest one is uh, Vampire Weekend's song Harmony Hall, and is is really great. Sounds good. All right. Well, thanks for listening. Subscribe via your favorite podcast place, and we'll be back with Max uh, in a month or so, but uh, we'll uh, see if we can get in some good guests in the meantime. Take care. See you later.